Bibles tonight to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I want to look at just two verses here tonight. As rich as this chapter is, it's hard to stay focused on two verses. But there are two verses here, verse 6 and verse 7, that I want us to think about. I want to speak to you about prayer with thanksgiving. Prayer with thanksgiving. I just uh, happened to think uh, a little while ago uh, that I'd preached on the subject of prayer last Sunday evening. And uh, so this is not by design, but rather by compulsion. That's just what God laid on my heart. Paul writes, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Here we find Paul speaking about the path to peace or the product of peace. And we could spend several hours just on these two verses, but I, I just want to try to sum it up in the next few minutes without, without getting uh, things muddy with all of the details and just state it as simply as possible. And uh, the best place to begin is at the beginning. And I want you to notice as he begins, he's speaking here on the subject of what we would call problems. Verse 6, he says, be careful for nothing. Don't you just hate it when somebody says to you, don't worry about it. You know, or, or I've, I've been through that. I had that. I, you know, don't, don't worry about it. You don't have anything to worry about. Well, and sometimes you just feel like punching somebody in the nose when they say that because you feel perfectly justified in worrying about it. You know, because after all, you know, you, you've got some problem that is overwhelming and uh, you feel like, well, if I don't worry about it, nobody is. So somebody needs to. Well, that's basically what this verse is saying, though. Uh, you know, don't worry about it. Be careful for nothing. And you might be thinking, well, how am I supposed to obey a command like that in a day like this? How am I supposed to obey a command like that in a day like this? Because all of us can make a long list of difficulties that we face that are what, what we oftentimes refer to as the signs of the times. And we do know, according to the Bible, uh, what's going to happen. We know things are going to get worse and worse. So we live in troublesome times and to our way of thinking, it's only natural that we worry. But natural does not mean proper. We need to think about that. Natural does not mean proper. And so many times we tend to deny the fact that we're worrying or we try to hide it. We try to excuse it or we try to disguise it. We say, well, I'm really concerned about that, and what we really mean is I'm worried sick about it. We won't come out and say that because we know what the Bible says about, you know, worrying, and so we don't say that. 
But And by the way, there are things that we ought to be concerned about, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but there's a big difference between being properly concerned about things and being worried about things. But I think if we're really honest, that every one of us would have to admit that we worry more than we should, you know. Of course, the fact is we really shouldn't worry at all. And so I think we all know we worry more than what we ought to. So I think it does us good to remember who's writing this. Consider Paul. We talked about this last week, by the way, and the difficulties that Paul was going through. And whenever we think about the situation that he was in, and yet when you look at verse 11 and he says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That is absolutely amazing to me. And a man like that deserves to be heard. Anybody that can be in that situation, anybody that can have gone through all of the great difficulties that he suffered and say, I've learned to be content, man, we can learn something from somebody like that, you see. But remember this, even if he had failed, even if he had caved into the pressure, even if he was wringing his hands with worry, even if he had written that I have to confess to you, I have not learned to be content. I am disgusted. I am discontent. If he had said those things, that still would have not given us the right to fail because he did. So keep that in mind. But as we think about him being able to say that I've learned to be content, that gives all of us hope. At least it should. So now he moves from the matter of problems where he tells us basically don't worry about anything. Be careful for nothing. And he begins to speak about prayer. He says, but, but, in light of what he just said, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, there are three things in this statement that, that we need to pay attention to. We see here the area of prayer, the aspects of prayer, and the attitude of prayer. Notice the area of prayer. He says, in what? Everything. Do you know what that means? It means what it says. It means in everything. That's not difficult to understand. In everything. It means exactly what it says. We're, we're to pray about everything, not just emergencies. It's easy to pray about an emergency. You know, we just get the news maybe by telephone or it might be by email or uh, somebody knocks on your door and they deliver bad news and it's an emergency situation. Boy, it's really easy to pray in times like that. But we're to pray in everything, not just when some emergency comes our way. And I'm convinced not only are we to pray in everything, but we are to think of prayer as meaning everything. In other words, what, whatever else God tells us to do, that we ought to do it with prayer. Prayer ought to be involved in everything because it means everything. That's why I keep saying everything depends upon prayer. 
Because without it, we can't expect anything. How can we expect God to bless our labor if we're not doing it prayerfully? How can we expect God to bless uh, the music unless we're doing it prayerfully? And just as a preacher needs to pray in regards to his sermon and the teacher in regards to the lesson and if somebody singing needs to, needs to be much in prayer about it, that, Lord, you know, help me, to be a, help me to be a vessel to communicate your message to people that will be a blessing to them. So the area of prayer is in everything. But notice the aspects of prayer here because... Notice he speaks about making our requests known. That's in the plural. Do you notice that? It's in the plural. You know why? Because he's telling us that we need to be specific about our prayers. Let your requests, plural, be made known. Enumerate them. Make a list, as it were. And I think we're all guilty, and I know sometimes we have to Pray, you know, Lord, we might say, bless, uh, bless Lakeway Baptist Church, or bless this family, or that family, or bless, we might say, bless all of the missionaries. And uh, I think there's a time and a place to pray in that fashion, but, but there's also, most importantly, a time that we got to be specific about what we want, who we're praying for, what we want God to do, what needs to be done. And be specific in your prayers. Don't just pray, you know, for all of the sick. That's fine. Go ahead and do that. But pray specifically for those that have particular needs. Now, here's the thing about it. God already knows what we need before we even ask. The Bible tells us that. We all know that. We don't surprise God like, oh, wow, really? I, I, I'm, I didn't know that. I'm glad you called that to my attention. God already knows about that. But God wants us to make them known to Him. Even though He knows them, He wants us to make it known. And so the question to us is, are we? Are we making those requests made known to God? And it matters to God because he says, let your request be made known. So that has to do with the aspects of our prayer. But notice there are two things about this. He uses two different words in describing the aspects of prayer. He said in everything, notice by prayer. And that particular word, the Greek word translated into the English word prayer, literally means to worship. In other words, it has to do with a God-centered prayer. And so many times, as I said this morning, that our prayers are need-centered or desire-centered. We pray about this because we need it. We pray about it, you know, because it's something that we want. But above everything else, we need to focus on God. As I said earlier, on His attributes. Whenever we think about His attributes, when we think about His promises, when we think about His commands, this is what this is talking about here. This has to do with prayer in the sense of keeping it God-centered and focusing upon Him. And as I said this morning, that's the pattern that God gave in what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, which is, I think, more aptly described as a pattern or the model prayer there in Matthew in chapter number 6 and verse number 9 where he begins. And so that 
that establishes the pattern that every one of us ought to follow. So, in everything, that's the area, by prayer, the first aspect, but then notice the word and, supplication. Now, somebody might say, well, both of them have to do with prayer. Well, that's true, but one has to do with being prayerful in regards to that which is God-centered. The other has to do with our needs. It's talking about need-centered prayer. And that word supplication implies strong expression. In other words, it's something that a need that we strongly desire. And so it's not just, you know, mouthing the words and without any heartfelt meaning, but it's an expression for a particular need. By the way, we, we can't expect God to supply the things we need if we don't even ask Him, right? James says you have not because you ask not. And it's real easy for all of us to think of something we need or something we want and complain because we don't have it when in reality we've never prayed that God would give it to us. So now notice the third thing here about prayer. We see the area and the different aspects. But this is what I really want you to notice. And I'll be as brief as possible. And that has to do with the attitude of prayer. He says, with thanksgiving. You know, some words just go together. Peaches and cream. How about that? Peanut butter and jelly. Bacon and eggs. And you can probably think of some that go together, can't you? Some do. Well, that's the way we ought to think about this here we shouldn't think about prayer without thinking about thanksgiving also because it is absolutely crucial. It is essential for us to pray effectively. Wouldn't it be awful if all we did was ask? You know, without ever acknowledging our appreciation, just ask, Lord, you know, I want this and I want that and here's my, here's my list and that's all we did. If we want our prayers to be effective, they've got to be with thanksgiving. Let God know we appreciate what He's already done. And there's never a time whenever we are without something for which we can be thankful. Isn't that wonderful to be able to, to say that? Never a time, as Christians I'm talking about, there's never a time when we're without something for which we can be thankful. We've always got something. Regardless of how much you lose, you've still got something that you can be thankful for. Regardless of how difficult it is, you've got something to be thankful for. The very fact that you could get up and get out of bed and be here tonight, that's something to be thankful for. All of God's many blessings. Now, when you consider how often this matter of thanksgiving is mentioned in the Bible, it tells us something very important. It tells us that thanksgiving is of immense importance to God because he's spoken so much about it. And here, as he associates it with the matter of prayer, it tells us that it is crucial to our prayers being answered. That ought to make it important to us. Now, bear with me. Think with me. 
when we talk about Thanksgiving, and here, here we are, Thanksgiving coming up in just a few days, and we think about, you know, all of the blessings of God, and uh, we talk about observing Thanksgiving. Turkey, dressing. I told Bev the other day, I said, I think, uh, I think whenever you're 90 years old, uh, all, the family's all going to expect you to make the dressing. Doesn't make, you know, any difference. Somebody, we can get by with the turkey and the ham and this and that and the other. Yeah. But when it comes to the dressing, the whole family has just got that labeled down as nobody else's compares to hers. And, and I think they've got that right. But when we think about Thanksgiving and observing Thanksgiving, it's almost always related to stuff that we get instead of being appreciative of things that we've got. But the thing about Thanksgiving is that it is more than being thankful. Thanksgiving is more than being thankful. You can be thankful without giving thanks. Thanksgiving is more than just acknowledging something that God has done in your life. It's doing something about it. Whether we express it in song, whether we express it by way of a testimony or whatever it is, there has to be that expression of it. And that's why it is so confusing to me when we think about so many people week after week that go to church and they sing all of the, you know, the great hymns of the faith and that speak about God and speak about His blessings. And so many times there will be those that are just totally out of touch with, with the song service. Tim knows what I mean. He's standing up here looking out there. That's some people, that they never sing. They never sing. Whenever it says that we talk about giving thanks, how do you give thanks? Well, you give thanks by saying thanks by by the songs that we sing. Not only that, but by by thanks living, by the manner in which we live, which demonstrates our appreciation for what God has done. So, this Thanksgiving, I want you to think about expressing your gratitude in some way rather than just, you know, sitting down and, you know, say, Lord, we thank you for this turkey and dressing and we thank you for our favorite team winning the football game and what have you, you know. Let's take time to really thank God. Just get alone and just, I mean, be specific and thank God for the things that he's done. Now, that brings us down to one other thing we find in these two verses. And, and, and this is what it all builds up to, and that's promises. We started out with problems. Wouldn't it be awful to have all these problems and no promises? Boy, it sure would. Well, thank God we've, we've got promises that enable us to deal with the problems, and we do so through the medium of what? Prayer. So he comes down to verse 7, and he says, And... So there's a connection here, right? 
What we've just said, and now he says, it's like I'm not through. I've got something else to say about this. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In other words, the product of doing what he just told us to do is the peace of God that comes from the God of peace. Boy, peace is a wonderful thing. And you stop and think about it, regardless of how much money you've got, regardless of how famous you are, if you don't have peace, you're just miserable. And here we find the God's promise of peace and the three things about it that he mentions. Notice how it's described. He says, peace that passeth all understanding. That means it's beyond our comprehension. It surpasses our ability to, to understand or, or to explain. And um, neither, you know, those that see it nor those who have it can ever really comprehend it. it it's just it's what God does. And it's beyond our comprehension. Notice not only how it's described, but what it does. It says that it will keep your hearts and minds. Notice the word keep there. That literally means to guard. It means to act as an umpire. Now, what does an umpire do? Well, they regulate and control. They're, they're the ones that regulates the game. The umpire, you know, says stop. You've got to stop and and if there's a penalty incurred, why well, he enforces that. And so he regulates and he controls. And he's saying that peace is like a guard or like, like an umpire that provides us with calm whenever everything around us is, uh, is falling apart. That controls the situation whenever we feel like we're about to get out of control that comforts us whenever otherwise we would be miserable. The peace of God that is in control and providing comfort for us. It's priceless because regardless of what else we have, regardless of what else we do, we're miserable without peace. I've often thought about all of these high-dollar entertainers that over the years that like Elvis Presley and different ones that had more money than they could ever spend, had, had so much fame that everywhere they went, you know, every, everybody knew exactly who they were. And in spite of all of that, they end up absolutely miserable. And that list could go on and on. We just noticed those that overdose or those that commit suicide, uh, those that end in tragedy, we just really notice them, but believe me, it's true of every single one of them. Amen. You watch some of these entertainment shows and the red carpet is rolled out and boy, you think, man, I tell you what, that, no, that's, that's, that's not the high life. Amen. Those people are in the depths of their heart, they're actually miserable because they don't have the peace that you and I do as a child of God. We have this promise of peace. We see how it's described and what it does, but notice how it comes. He says, it passeth all understanding. It'll keep your hearts and minds, but notice 
It's through Christ Jesus. You know why? Because Ephesians 2.14 says he is our peace. He is our peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Amen. And so it has to come through him. He has procured peace for us by the shedding of his blood because it's his blood that reconciles us to God. So now we can say we are at peace with God. That's not the way it was before you got saved. You wasn't at peace with God. You was the enemy of God. There was a breach between you and God. But whenever the Lord reconciles us, he brings us into a state of oneness with God. And now we have that wonderful peace. Not only did he procure peace for us by his death on the cross, he pictured peace by the manner in which he lived. You, you just read on and on about him. You never read it where it talks about. And he spent the evening sitting out on a high hill overlooking Jerusalem and wringing his hands with worry and fretting and miserable because of all. You, you don't read about that. He had peace. Now, keep in mind that he was a man. He was all man. He was all God. He was a man. He knew what it was to hurt. He knew what it was to have needs and so forth. He was a man, but he had a peace unlike any other. And we see him picturing that peace whenever we think about the manner in which he lived. But the great thing is he promised us peace. Not just peace, but he promised his peace. Think about that. He promised us peace. His peace. The kind of peace that he had is the kind of peace that we all can enjoy. He has provided peace for all of his children. And how thankful we ought to be in this world of confusion and conflict that we can know that we have peace in our heart. So, what does he say? Be careful for nothing. Be prayerful about everything. And what? Thankful in anything thankful in anything now you say preacher but if you just knew what problems i had you wouldn't say that if you just knew how difficult my life was right now you wouldn't talk about being thankful well if you're a christian you've got something to be thankful for you don't have to say i thank god for my migraine headache or my cancer you know or some other disease you you don't say you know, I thank God that my wife is divorcing me. You don't have to thank God for that, but you can thank God in that. That regardless of what is going on, you can thank God for this. That even that thing that you feel like you can't thank God for, you can thank God for the fact that whatever that thing is, that he can make some good come out of it, as bad as it is. Because he never loses control. One more verse I want to leave with you in light of everything that we've said. First Thessalonians 5.18 In everything, in everything, give thanks. Why? What makes that so important? Why, why don't we just chalk that up as something that is unreasonable expectations? Why should we have to put that in practice whenever we have it so difficult? Well, he explains that. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
Are you concerned about the will of God? You know, someone makes a profession of faith and naturally as we're counseling with them, we tell them that, you know, in order to do the will of God, they need to take uh, the next step and follow the Lord in baptism and so forth. And we lay out the, the what we call the Christian disciplines, the things that they need to be doing in order to mature in their faith and so forth. And we talk about uh, all of those things. And they're important because that's the will of God. This is what God wants you to do. Well, this is the will of God in everything give thanks. So regardless of what you're going through, Whatever difficulty you're facing, and boy, you know, we're talking about a testimony meeting on Tuesday night, talking about the blessings of God. If we just had a dump your load of burdens meeting and everybody everybody could speak, couldn't they? Everybody could stand up and say, let me tell you what's bothering me right now. Boy, we got we got folks right here tonight. I could call the name. I don't have to because you know who they are. You're praying for them, and what have you. But I tell you, it's a heavy load what some of these folks are are carrying. It's difficult. Brother Scott was here this morning, sitting down there, and just happy in the Lord. And I was thinking to myself, what what a great testimony that is to see him rejoicing in the Lord. And yet, with all of those physical problems and difficulties that he's facing. Now, I said all of that to say this. God expects an attitude of gratitude, an expression of thankfulness out of those people, just like he does out of everybody else. He expects it out of all of us because as Christians, we all have something that we can be thankful for. And it's always rooted in what? Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. He made it possible that we have something to be thankful for. I hope you all have a, I don't even know how to end this. I, I think I'll just end it. But we. All, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. And please take time. You know, you. it's fine to, fine to do it, you know, all gathered together before you eat. We always read the, the 100th Psalm. That's been a family tradition for years and years. And there are times that we read other verses and, and so forth. And, and it's fine to talk there together. But spend some time alone. Just get in your prayer closet, wherever that is, and spend some time alone thanking God for all of the great things that he's done. Thank God for all, all, all of these good people around you. Amen. You know, as a, as a pastor, it's real easy, and it just goes with the territory, uh, because you can't just ignore problems in a church and shortcomings and so forth. And so you've always got that before you, and Bev and I have talked about this a lot. I'm, I'm so glad that whenever we look around that, we can look around and think about all of the really good, faithful people that love God with all of their heart and love the church. And we've got so much to be thankful for. So uh, you're going to play a big part in whether you make this a really, truly happy Thanksgiving or not. And the best way to do it is, like I say, just get alone and, uh, and give thanks to the Lord. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. If you're here and there's a need and you say, Preacher, you always give an invitation. I was going to come forward. 
Well, you can do that anyway, but do it as we're praying or after we pray. How about that? Whenever we get through praying, Brother Kenneth or I, either one, if you're a woman, Mr. Stone, would be glad to, to speak with you. Other ladies out there uh, be glad to talk with you. We got Sunday school teachers and deacons, so don't feel like don't feel like we don't care because we don't have a formal invitation tonight. Because we do, and we encourage you to come. And uh, if we can be of any help, please let us know. Anybody have a final word before we leave? We'll see each other again till Tuesday night. So, right, Brother Kenneth. December 7th with, with the surgeon concerning our cancer and it's just a real important uh, family needs prayer. Amen. Yeah, that's for sure. She's whenever you've you know, been down that road and you you know and you think wow I, God brought me through it and you know you think you're healed and you go back to those checkups and it's a scary thing. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You go back every year or two for a checkup, and then they find something else again, and now they find it's full-blown and, uh, and uh, in different parts of the body. And so they're fighting, I'm sure, a real battle right now and, uh, and need our prayers, so don't forget. Okay? All right. Let's all stand, Brother Richard.